0: If you win your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, continue our series in the book of Colossians. And we had um, preached on verses 15-16, uh, uh, two weeks ago, on the deity of Christ. And so we're calling that, that sermon, deity of Christ number 1, and tonight, the deity of Christ uh, number 2. And so speaking on, again, the series on the preeminence of Christ... Colossians 1, look with me in verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Lord, may you use it, and may you uh, be glorified in everything that's said. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, again, writing from prison, is reaffirming in the book of Colossians the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Again, we know that, and we've followed this now for several weeks, that the Gnostics had infiltrated the church there in Colossae and, and uh, some of their beliefs, and really the belief, the Gnostics' belief was just kind of an admixture of religions, that there was no religion greater than another religion, that all of them just kind of fit together and all of them kind of just work together, and, and uh, Paul is coming back to the Church of Colossae and saying, no, Jesus Christ is above all, that he excels all religions and beliefs, that he, re- that he excels all persons and beliefs. He excels all. He's above all. In verses 12 and 14, as we studied it last, a couple of weeks ago, Paul gives thanks that the Father, the Heavenly Father, had qualified us for heavenly things. For heavenly places. I'm thankful that the second Adam qualified us, forgave us our sins, and qualified us to have heaven, to enter heaven. The first Adam disqualified us. The second Adam qualified us. And we see that in verses 12 and 13, and then we see again in verses 13 that he delivered us. I'm thankful that Christ delivered us. He rescued us from the power of darkness and translated us in the kingdom of his dear son. And then verses 14, he redeemed us. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And we said before that the blood of Christ is the currency of redemption. The blood of Christ is the currency of redemption. It cost the blood of Jesus to redeem us from the curse of the law. The blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And Jesus Christ died for all. Now, Paul, in these verses, verses 15 through 17, or verses 15 through 19, is reaffirming the truth of the absolute deity of Jesus Christ, that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he's God with skin on. And so we see in verses 15 that Christ is the manifestation of God. Let's look at verse 15 now. Paul says this, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ was the manifestation of God, an exact representation of of, of God, of God. John 14, nine says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. These are Jesus Christ's words. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is absolutely, without a doubt, there is no uh, debate that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. It's, it's, not, it's without debate. There are verses after verse after verse, 1 Timothy 3.16, and, and you know, 1 John 1.1, and just go on in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. I mean, and I'm a, just talking about a few. There are just multiple verses that make it very, very clear that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. If you want to know what God is like, he is just like Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, he is Jesus Christ. If you want to know what what God says, what does Jesus say? (laughs) If you want to know what God does, what does Jesus do? Or what did he do while he was here on earth? The example that he sets in the Bible, that's that's God. You want to know how God loves? How did Jesus love? He's God in the flesh. Sometimes we just don't make that connection. We, We think about Jesus Christ and We think about, well, how can we ever really know God? Well, God, that is God. God was on. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. And then, verses 15, we see the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ as creator. And I I love this now. He is the firstborn of every creature. I didn't go into it as much as you could. But, boy, we we talk about that we have become a new creature. Creation, a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. That same word is used in talking about our new creature. We are a new creature. That new creature is new creation. Here's talking about He's the firstborn of all creation. He is the beginning. He is the source. He is uh, before all things, and He is superior to all creation because He created it. Now, the context here is again speaking to the Gnostics. The Gnostics believe Jesus Christ was kind of in in a in a sense a not in a sense they believe him to be created and that he was a part of the angelic beings and that he wasn't even the first in rank that he was just down there somewhere and so what paul is saying here is no no he is firstborn; he is the first in rank of all the creatures he he is the firstborn of, of everything why verse 16 tells you why because he created all things and i said two weeks ago i said well if, if you are a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or whatever the case is, and you believe that he was created, which they do, then in verse 16, that means he created himself, which we all go laugh out loud. Now that it's not very funny, it's funny to me, hilarious, that someone who has the mental capabilities of just reading the scripture as it states that it says in verse sixteen, for by him were all things created. Who is the him? Who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus Christ created all things, and therefore, if verse six, fifteen is saying that Jesus Christ was created, if that's really what it's saying, then Jesus Christ created himself. Be kind of difficult to do. Verse sixteen. Not only is he superior to all creation, but he is the creator of all things. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and what? For him. And that is that Jesus Christ is the primary agent of the Godhead in creation. That when you, if you were there on the first day of creation and you heard that voice, let there be light. That, that voice would have been the voice of Jesus Christ. The same voice that Moses heard from the burning bush. That voice. John chapter 8 verse 58 makes that very clear that Jesus said himself that he was the one who spoke out of the burning bush. Jesus Christ is the primary agent of the Godhead in the creation. We're not saying that others, the other two parts of the Godhead didn't have part. Absolutely they did. In the beginning God. That word God there in the Hebrew is Elohim which means all three. All three of the parts of the Godhead had a part in creation, but Jesus Christ was the primary part of the deity, primary part of the Trinity in whom created all things. Jesus Christ. Not only is he the creator of all things, but he's the sustainer of all things. He is the curator. He is the one who is keeping all things, and we'll cover that here in a moment. Again, as we think about the creation, there are only two choices. You either believe in goo or God. There's not three choices. There's not four choices. There are two. You believe in goo, or you believe in God. You believe it, you. Either believe in matter, the eternal matter. Even the evolutionists believe in the eternal matter. They do. They believe in the eternal matter. They believe in the speck of dust or whatever they want to put there that began to spin around and Big Bang it happened. But they believe in the eternal matter. Ask them where that matter came from. They don't know. It's either eternal matter or the eternal Master. And I'm just going to believe the Master. I believe believe personally it's easier to believe and have faith that all of this was created than it is to believe that it just so happened. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation by an intelligent (laughs) superior Jehovah God. God created all things through again the primary agent of his son Jesus Christ. Now Tonight, verse 17. And he that is Christ is before all things. Oh, okay. He's eternal. He's God in the flesh. And by him all things consist. He is, verse 17, he is the curator. He controls it all. And I just want, just from the very beginning, understand he controls it all because he made it all. He made it all. He is eternal in his existence. And this is affirmed here that he was, again, look at that verse again, and he is before all things. Jesus Christ, before all things. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W-O-R-D. And the Word was with God, and what? The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, the Word, capital W R O R D, Jesus Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ, there in the beginning. Jesus Christ, again, before the beginning of the earth, he's been coexistence with the Godhead from eternity past. In other words, when Jesus Christ was born in the manger, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus Christ. He's always been. Always. In fact, again, in John 8, verse 58, which we've covered a lot here of late and a couple years ago too in depth, Jesus Christ said, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I'm sorry, Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, Before Abraham was, I was. (laughs) No, he said, I am. I am. I am that I am. The ever-present one. Always existed. And they they picked up stones to stone him with. Because they understood, the Jews did, they understood that he was equating himself with God. Because only God is eternal. Only God is before Abraham. And so, um, again, Jesus Christ claiming eternality and claiming equality with God, being equal with God. Hmm. By the way, John chapter 1, verse 10 also says that he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. In other words, the creator walked among them. Jesus Christ, the creator, walked among them. And I've said this a lot here lately too. But just understand, when they bumped into Jesus, they didn't realize they were bumping into God. Bumping into the creator of the universe, the one who created the sun, the moon, the stars. The one who created the earth. The one who created the air that they breathe. That, that's who they bumped into. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? The curator. Again, we see the verses, again, confirming or affirming his eternal existence. And then there's a sustainer. I love this the word. It says, and by him all things what? consist and we've used this verse over the years many times and we've never covered it implicitly like this but understand that what that word consist means it means to, to cohere. It means soup it's like thinking about superglue. It's what it's what's holding everything together. It's saying that Jesus Christ is not only the creator. He was not only before all things but he is the one holding everything together. Literally what it's saying is he's holding the universe together. He is holding the universe together. He's holding it all together. He is the sustainer, he is the curator, and by him all things consist. 2 Peter 3:7. Real quick, 2 Peter 3:7. It's back to the back of, towards the end of the New Testament. 2 Peter 3:7. We'll back up and kind of go into this verse. It says and uh, it's talking about those who would mock and scoff, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse three, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, for since the fathers died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. What is it? What is he saying there? They're ignorant of what? That by the word of God, the heavens were abode. By the word of God, the heavens were made. Now here, it's not talking about what you have in your lap. It's talking about the word of God, his voice. In the beginning, God created the heavens and let there be light. The word created it all. Everybody see that? They're ignorant that the word created everything. The word of God, his voice. Look with me again. I'm going to read that verse one more time. For this they willingly are ignorant that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Does it sound like creation? Whereby the world that, that then was being overflowed with water perished. What's that talking about? The Noah's flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What? It was the word, the voice of God, that created all things, and it's the voice of God, it's the word of God today that holds it all together. By him all things consist. And by him all things consist. He is the superglue holding it together. Acts 17 says that in him, that is it in Christ, we live and move and have our being. He holds our very life in his hands. He holds our very breath. He's the reason why you're breathing tonight. You say, well, you know, my heart's beating, and my lungs, and you no. Know, he's holding it all together by his word. He is the super glue that holds it all together. I uh, looked up a little bit about superglue. Um, This adhesive had been advertised as so strong that one drop could hold 2,000 pounds. The glue has been used on chipped plates, knick-knacks that that mom put up on the shelves. Hello, Dad. Uh, My mom had this knick-knack shelf between the living room and the kitchen growing up. And on it, she had, you know, various things. Well, over the years, each one of those knick-knacks got, you know, Somehow fell off the shelf. And nearly, I think nearly all of them, if not all of them, at one time have been super glued back together. An elephant, you know, pottery, I don't know, lots of different things. It was pretty cool. Super glue is awesome. Chip plates, shoe soles, elephant tusks, racing cars, and even the space shuttle has had super glue used on it. The glue was first uh, devised in 1942 in search of making clear plastic gun sights for World War II. It was developed by Professor Verno uh, Griebel in the 1950s and first captured the public imagination in a TV game show in 1958, when one drop was used to lift a man off the floor. Professor (laughs) Griebel, his glue, uh, which was first known as liquid lock nut, and then what, some of you mechanics? Loctite. You can buy the blue Loctite, you can buy the red Loctite. Isn't it amazing stuff? It's amazing. I'm looking at for the clay, but <laughs> let's see. And then Loctite and was was put to more practical use in the age old problem of loose nuts and bolts in machinery. He was so he was soon crowned the man who beat vibration. This vibration that vibrates those nuts and bolts loose, right? This amazing glue has also proved to be a lifesaver. During, during the Vietnam War, soldiers proved with uh, tubes, pr- I'm sorry, where soldiers were provided with tubes to seal stomach wounds in the battlefield. A redefined formulation without the deadly poison, uh, methyl, me- methyl alcohol, is now used to seal post-operative wounds worldwide. It has also been used in veterinary clinics A tortoise who cracked his shell after falling from a second floor window was successfully glued back together. That's awesome. Racing pigeons have had their feathers super glued together. Fish have had their fins reattached and horses have had their split hooves bonded together. As amazing as it is, everybody knows what can take super glue off stuff, right? Acetone. Literally, that powerful glue, if you just got a little bottle of fingernail polish remover, you can take super glue and you can dissolve the bond. It's it's a, it's a, this hardening a little bit that something so simple can uh, cause it to weaken. But I'm thankful that the superglue of the Lord does not weaken with anything. Nothing dissolves it. And Christ here, uh, Christ, Paul's description of the firm hold that Christ has on the universe uh, will never dissolve. Never break, and that bond will never be never, 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 never go away. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Superglue, what an amazing invention. And by him all things consist. Jesus Christ, all things consist. I'll move to the next point. Verse 18. So not only is he the curator, but he's the head of the body. Now we covered this last Wednesday night. I preached on the church. And what the church is. We defined it. We went through that. So we'll spend just a little bit of time on this and then move on. But, but Christ is the head of the body. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, which who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Again, that he is the head of the body. Again, Paul uses the body as an illustration, comparing the church to a human body. And what is that? It means the illustration is, or the analogy is, that as the human body works together, so the church members should work together. As each member of the human body works together, so should each member of the church body work together, and so forth and so on. By the way, as we think about it, he is the head, he is the head, or the authority, or the controller of the body. Now, he's the head. It doesn't mean a literal head, but the authority, the controller. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 says that the husband is the head of the wife. It's not talking about the literal head, but the authority. It is Christ by His Word and Holy Spirit that controls the body. Right? In other words, the church is controlled by the, by the head, Jesus Christ, through the Word and through the Holy Spirit. Not through some man, Not through tradition, but through the word. Boy, you talk about traditions. You say, well, only the Catholics have traditions. Uh, I beg to differ. Uh, Baptists do as well. One of the first things we did when we started Heritage Baptist Church is we really tried very hard, and we have over the years, to be sure that the deacons of our church are biblical deacons and not following tradition. So many Baptist churches, the deacons are used in a way... Um, that is not found in the Bible. And so many times they find deacons in certain churches whom become um, power and, the, uh, how can I say this very kindly and politely, um, they, 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 they seek to run the church. And they do so by the way of money. And the deacons and so forth. What I'm saying is, the Bible says a deacon. You know what the word, the term, the the word deacon means. It means servant. And nowhere in the Bible do you find them in charge of money. It's not there anywhere. But it's so many times, and I'm not saying I'm not saying the, the finance team in our church, which is the deacons and the trustees and the treasurer, uh, certainly uh, help and uh, oversee and help me oversee the finances. But in no way was the deacons to be like set up somewhere as the overall financial. I don't know. I'm trying to be so nice. I got things I'm trying to be really nice. I really am. And we, we, were not, we, we tried to lay that out from the beginning. All right. So, for instance, we, we made the trustees part of the finance team to acknowledge that the deacons in the Bible were not given authority over the finances. Right? They were, they were to take care and help with the widows and, and those who are in need and so forth and so on to help the pastor and free him up to study and those type of things and prayer, prayer, but nowhere did it put them in charge of that. What it did is it, they were supposed to be out working. They were supposed to be out being a servant. They're supposed to be out helping and doing and working and so forth. And I'm glad our deacons are that way. I'm glad our deacons are involved. They are teaching. They are working. They are helping with the fall festival. They are a, a calling and doing and working. That's what That's what deacons were supposed to be doing. And not just coming to a finance team meeting once a month, and sitting on some board and making decisions. Is that is that too? That was not very mean, was it? That's pretty kind. I hope. Um, again, I don't. I, I believe there should be oversight, and there should be absolutely. And we've had that here, and I don't think anybody could accuse us of not having that. But at the same time, we got to be careful that we do it the Bible way. That deacons are biblical, uh, absolutely, and but they should also be biblical in their actions. Right. So there is Baptist traditions as well too. And there are many a uh, small church, and man, we've come across so many here lately, and I'm trying to be so kind. But it really, it's become, some of these smaller churches, even in our area, some of them are, have been without a pastor for two, you know, one or two years. And there's reasons why they're without a pastor. Do I, do I wanna say this publicly? Can the deacons just get out of the way and hire a pastor? And let that pastor, pastor? It's, 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 it's mind-boggling to me. And so I got off on a hobby horse and I shouldn't have, but I feel better about it. And that is my heart lately. I, I, feel, I feel so much for these smaller churches who, who are without a pastor. And Brother Wiggins knows what I'm talking about. And there's a shortage of pastors today. Uh, we were talking with uh, Brother John Lunn and uh, we're talking with Brother, um, oh, the bald-headed guy, um, who was on staff at Worth Baptist, who preached, Paul Gaiman. And Paul Gaiman got up and said, you wouldn't believe how many small churches in Michigan are without pastors. Lots and lots and lots of them. And so many times it is it is inherent up upon those churches that though they say they want a pastor, uh, they just want somebody to come in and just teach. And, not do much else. Okay, I'll move on. Um, okay. I just I, I have a real heart for it. I don't I don't I don't get it. And you all are looking at me like, go on, pastor. I just don't want to. We need to pray for them. These small churches need our prayers, and uh, God would have control again. All right, firstborn, firstborn. Have the preeminence. He that is Christ, by his word, is the controller of the body. It's Christ who is the head of the church, not the deacons, and not the pastor, by the way. Christ is controlled. By how? By his word. By the word of God. In other words, we're to follow the pattern and, and the rules, if you would, and those things that are taught to us in the scriptures. The epistles give us how the how the church should be uh, should be organized, how the church should be run, and so forth. We are to follow the word of God. In the Holy Spirit of God. As the mind controls the body, talking about this physical body, so its members, so Christ controls the members of the church. And then the Bible says here he's the firstborn. Again, firstborn, first to rise from the dead. Look there with me in verse 18 again. He, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. First thing, he is the first. Again, the first in rank, firstborn, rank, order, or forerunner. He is the beginning, he's the life source, the first to rise from the dead, to rise victorious over death. You say, well, preacher, if he's the first one to rise from the dead, what about Elijah raising people from the dead? What about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ raised three people from the dead. Okay, he raised, there were seven people that were raised from the dead, according to the Bible, before uh, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. What's the difference? There is a difference, in that those who were raised from the dead prior to were raised bodily from the dead and they all died again Jesus Christ of course was in 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 the body in a natural body but when he was resurrected he was raised in a spiritual body No, nope, not an earthly body now he still had his body I don't but he was in the body that we're going to receive one day it's called a glorified body I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that body. But he's the first one who's raised from the dead, receiving the glorified body, receiving that body that doesn't hurt anymore, receiving that body that doesn't have to eat anymore, receiving, oh, that's sad, receiving, uh, receiving that body that, you know, again, no more pain, no more death, no more sickness, no more, it's amazing what a day that will be, amen? The firstborn of, uh, the first one raised in that incorruptible body. And you can get a, Um, a commentary on that from 1 Corinthians 15 that gives you a commentary on that. The difference between, again, those seven individuals who were raised from the dead and Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. The first of the resurrection. If you remember when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there were also others. The Bible says there was an earthquake and there were others that rose from the dead. Wouldn't that have been something? You've been walking around, all of a sudden your grandmother walks up to you? It's an amazing thought. Firstborn. Raised incorruptible. And then the last part of that verse, and we'll be done tonight, we'll, we'll do verse, uh, we'll finish up later. The beginning from the dead, that is, that all things he might have what? Preeminence. Preeminence. Notice it doesn't say here to make him have preeminence, but that he might have preeminence. We don't make pre- Christ preeminent. He is preeminent. That he might have the preeminence. Christ came before all things. Christ is to come before all things. He's to come before all things in the church. It doesn't matter whether it's a deacon or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. He's to come before all things. It's all about Christ. It's all about Him. The Old Testament temple, the Old Testament tabernacle was all about Jesus Christ. And so should Heritage Baptist Church be all about Jesus Christ. We're to look to Him, the author and finisher of our faith. This one thing I do, it's all about Jesus Christ turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. We need to keep Jesus Christ first and foremost in the church. And when this happens, the Holy Spirit extends grace freely to the hearts of the membership and attendance. When we, when we in a service like to keep Christ uh, preeminent, when, we, when he has the preeminence, and the preacher doesn't get off on deacons and things like that, but he keeps his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and the focus is on Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit can have his free course among the congregation, and he can extend grace freely to the congregation and to the members of the congregation. I want him to show up and make himself evident. And as we, as a church, are working together, all the members working together, striving together, laboring together with God, as we work together and in harmony and in fellowship one with one another And there's not any of this stuff going on, which I'm thankful Heritage Baptist Church has been that way for a long time. And just working for the Lord and keeping our eyes on Him, the Holy Spirit shows up in a great way. Christ becomes before all things. He is to be the priority of not only the church, but He's the priority of my life. And He should be the priority of your life. Work should not be the priority of your life. And we say this all the time, but hobbies shouldn't be the priority of your life. There's no way sports should take the place of church. There's no way fishing should take the place of church. There's no way that golf should take the place of church, and I could go on and on and on and on. Basket weaving shouldn't take the place of church. I don't know what your hobby is, but hobby shouldn't take the place. Of family shouldn't take place of church. I get it all the time. Somebody will say, "Preacher, you know I got so and so coming in, family coming in, and I, I won't be at church tonight." Hello, what are you? You know, some of you may have told me that before. Sorry, but hello, no, church is priority. I'm gonna be in church. I don't care who Aunt Susie is or whatever. I'm going to be at church. Family, uh, Christ comes first. Christ comes first. Friends, uh, Christ comes before friends and on and on and on. He should be the priority of our life. Again, Colossians 3, chapter 1, and chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Seek those things which are above, set your affection on things above. Christ should rule in our hearts, Christ should rule in our lives. He should sit on the throne of our hearts. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul said. Christ, he said, is my life. Is Christ your life tonight? Is he, does he have preeminence in your life? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Lord Jesus Christ stands unrivaled. He is the first place. He is first place in the universe. John Phillips said it this way. He says, some give him a place talking about salvation. Some give Christ a prominence, you know, general control of your life. And then some individuals, some people give him preeminence. That is, make him king and lord of their life. Where are you tonight? Is Christ given a place in your life? you just gotten saved and that's all you give him? And, or maybe he's prominent in your life. Maybe he's prominent. You know, he, you give him all the rooms in your life except maybe two or three rooms. You give him access to every part of your life except one or two areas. Or is he preeminent? Is he supreme? Is he Lord? Is he the boss? Is he the king of your life? He ought to be preeminent. He ought to have the preeminence in your life. In him, it says there in verse 19, that it's the fullness, the fullness of all. He is deity. He is the source of all New Testament blessings. By the way, it says there that he pleased the Lord, pleased God that in him dwells all the fullness. Again, fullness there means the deity. Deity. What a thought that God is happy that Christ, upon Christ, has placed all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2, verse 9. If you look over the other side of the page, Colossians 2, verse 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It pleased the Lord that in him He controls it all. You can trust him. He is the creator. He holds it all together. We ought to trust him with our church and with our life. He is the authority. Is he the authority in your life? The God of the universe was pleased to send Jesus Christ in order to rescue us, to save us. And to give us knowledge of Himself. So thankful that God was willing to send His Son for us. Amen. Let's all stand. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlitt.org.